Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. Uh, it's 1 p.m. Eastern time every Friday um, now and throughout the season. You can catch us live on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders. Also, please watch us after the fact and listen to us after the fact on YouTube and on the Football Outsiders podcast feed. Uh, today, I'm joined by one of Edge Sports' newer hires, uh, Chris Spaggs. Chris, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining and welcome to the football season. Thanks, Scott. First time, uh, first time listener here. Or, no, actually, I've been watching a lot of Scott's content, so I, I'm excited to be on board with the community. And obviously, you know, Football Outsider is a brand that uh, coming on board here. I'm just doing my best to, to not screw up anything you guys are doing. So <laughs> I'm excited to be here, excited to be on Twitch and excited that Scott's already promoting hard, which is the one thing I've asked of everybody here is embrace your inner Billy Mays. Rest in peace, obviously. But oh, yeah. you know, bring Fire your, your inner salesman that you can for every single show is all we could do on Football Outsiders. Absolutely. So obviously the football season kicked off last night with a really entertaining game there between uh, the, the Bucks and, and uh, the Cowboys. So now this uh, today we're going to go through all of the games with a little bit of a preview, hitting on the major storyline of the game with a little bit of a fantasy slant, slant there. Also my favorite DFS play, getting Chris's thoughts on all of this. But before we start, let me mention that now that the season started, we are live on Twitch every um, every day of the week, Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time to 2 p.m. or so. Uh, Aaron's going to be hosting on Monday, then Wednesday and Thursday, sometimes with Mike Tanier, sometimes with the Edge Sports guys. I'm going to be on Tuesday with the Waiver Wire show and then Friday doing this game preview show. Uh, but Chris, we have a lot to cover today, so we better kick this thing off. Let's jump to Sunday with the Eagles at Falcons game. That's at 1 p.m. It's in the Dome in Atlanta. Uh, so I'll kind of head off by pointing out that domes are really important. They increase passing yards per attempt by like 2% uh, and 4% and stuff. So it's like a really important thing. But my major storyline for this game, Chris, is how will new head coach Arthur Smith change the Falcons offense? And the major stat here for me is that the Titans ran on 51.9% of their plays last year third most in the league, while the Falcons ran on 39.4%, eighth fewest. So what are your thoughts here with Smith and the Falcons? So, I mean, I've been beating the drum if people have watched some of the content I've done, both for Osmo, the, the DFS site that hopefully people know out there, uh, Splash Play, the podcast I do with Peter Roversett. I'm a Mike Davis stan. I've been one of the guys driving the bus for him. I mean, now it's become a, a conversation point across the industry of people debating the merits of him, uh, specifically for best ball and, you know, whether he's worth the flyer or not. But I believe in what Arthur Smith is going to do here. Like, I know, you know, we saw the efficiency really increase last year for Ryan Tannehill, where, you know, the play action, Derrick Henry opened things up a lot for him. I'm hoping the same for Matt Ryan, whose numbers when you kind of home through them were not as great as you might think for a guy who was in a lot of positive game scripts for fantasy last year. Obviously, the Falcons defense being so bad, but I do believe here this offense, there's going to be something. I think Ridley has shown the ability to be a wide receiver one to get the touchdowns and, and really to get the volume that you need to see at the position. So uh, I know he's going to be projected to be a very chalky play in DFS this week, but Mike Davis is the one where I'm terrified of the line we have, the edge sports line we have at 45 uh, for the regular consensus line out there with the books is at 48. And us being that low, I mean, yesterday we saw the edge line for the, the Bucks game that you mentioned, Scott, 57 line for edge. And then it was a 52 line for a lot of the books out there. Like, you know, that was right. And obviously they're not all going to be right, but still that's the goal here is sort of pinpoint it when you see this big discrepancy. And I don't know, Scott, how you feel about it. Cause I, you know, for me, Vegas lines were the whole thing that you're building everything off of. But when I see us being three points shy of the over under, I worry that maybe there's not going to be enough points scored here as we might think. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit worried. To me, like there's there's sort of contrasting things where I do expect Arthur Smith to improve the passing efficiency of the Falcons, but you know, the the passing volume may change here. So like I'm not sure I'm all in on guys like Matt Ryan. Like 
Calvin Ridley, I mean, he's, he's probably definitely a top 10 receiver, but he's priced like that in the DFS platforms too. And I guess I'm a little bit more pessimistic on Kyle Pitts than a lot of people at football outsiders in the, in the full season Kubiak projections, we're projecting him for 57 catches, 644 yards and 5.2 touchdowns. So that's like top 10 among tight ends, but it's not treating him like a Calvin Ridley or like a, uh, like a Calvin Johnson, I guess, type of, of wide receiver, which maybe he's that, but like, what are your thoughts there with Pitts? I love Pitts. And I think, you know, the issue for me with Pitts is that he's being treated like he's going to walk right in and be, you know, a Travis Kelsey, a Darren Waller. And I think uh, Bill Simmons on his podcast. And for some reason, a lot of my content just goes like, I can't believe Bill Simmons said this. And I love the guy, <laughs> you know, because I've been a fan for uh, probably decades now. But um, he was talking about like, yeah, it's hard to see Pitts not be Travis Kelsey. But it's like, there's a lot of ways he can not be Travis Kelsey. That could be more volume going. It's the other Falcons receivers. That could be more volume going to Mike Davis. Like there's a lot of ways it can't work out. But I am bullish here just because I think that Arthur Smith's not going to be able to do anything to get that defense much better than it was last year. And Pitts, to me, you look at him. I mean, I'm not like a watch the tape guy by any stretch, but you watch the highlights of him and the stuff he's done. And clearly a big bodied guy who kind of operates like a wide receiver is able to get into space. I have more hope there, but you know, I think again, it's just what comes down to the Vegas line, like in games where the Falcons are going to be, you know, uh, an over under game of over 50. I think you're probably feeling better about Pitts, but in one where we're the edge line is at 45, you know, maybe that's not the spot for Pitts to really explode. And maybe it's just Ridley gets all the volume and all the work. Yeah. So while I kind of wait and see on that passing front, I'm with you from a DFS perspective that Mike Davis is the man uh, for me this week, his $6,200 salary in FanDuel, I think is really the play. That's a $600 uh, underpricing from our model. Uh, I've got a few stats to throw at you with Davis. I mean, you probably know all of this. 2.46 yards after contact per attempt last year was top 10 at the position, not really far behind Derek Henry at 2.89. So it's like, maybe he's not Henry, the player, I think we can fairly say, given his journeyman background. But I think stylistically, it's the right type of fit for what Smith did in Tennessee, where maybe you're trying to get that power running game to pair up with a play action game. I'll also point out that Davis was a positive yak plus guy as a receiver, giving him the versatility. And the Falcons just don't have anybody behind him. I mean, Corderell Patterson is listed as their number two running back. They jumped at the opportunity to sign Wayne Gallman after the 49ers cut him. Like, if it's not Davis, who's it going to be? Maybe you're worried about the injuries, but for week one, I'm just not concerned at all. Yeah, I agree. And I think too, if you think the Falcons can get results in the passing game, then you know, you're gonna see them hopefully pull ahead of a Philadelphia team that's not the most qualified and really either side of the ball, though. I think there's some hope to think they could be better, especially than the local Philly fans are believing out there. <laughs> uh, but I'm with you, Mike Davis. I think you know he had a bell cow role last year. We saw him handle it. I know people sort of beat the drum, like you mentioned of the journeyman thing, but he's a journeyman because like a lot of teams have thought he can provide upside and thought he could be useful, but in different situations, there's been guys ahead of him. I think the Falcons gave him all the money they could for good reason. So I was impressed by Mike Davis. I'll throw one more stat because Scott has so many fantastic stats that I saw on his sheet. So full credit to Scott for preparing uh, more than I probably ever have for any show <laughs> in my life. But I would say that for me, you know, the one number that jumped out is in terms of avoided tackle rate, he was right behind Nick mm -hmm. Chubb last year. And that was, you know, not getting a lot of volume compared to some of the other guys like the Derrick Henry's like, um, you know, uh, Christian McCaffrey will this year or Dalvin Cook will this year. So I think there's a lot of hope for Mike Davis. And I do think if you are a Mike Davis truther like I am, uh, week one's probably going to be the week where you feel the best about it and can sort of run your victory laps. And then, then by week two or the second he faces Tampa Bay, it'll all go completely out the window. <laughs> well, yeah, we saw that last night with Ezekiel yes. Elliott trying to, to <laughs> run against Zeke. their number one DBO run defense. Uh, yeah, Chris, I'm, I'm definitely an over-preparer, which anyone that sees my, my show notes can definitely see. But I will point out that that yards after contact stat, we have broken tackle rate. All of that stuff is in some of the new Football Outsiders player efficiency reports, part of FO+. Everybody, please subscribe. You don't need it just for Kubiak, which I know that everyone's probably had their drafts by now, but there's some really good stuff up there on the site 
and it's it's well worth the price. But jumping to the next game, still Sunday at 1 p.m., Steelers at Bills. This is in Buffalo, 72-degree forecast with 15-mile-per-hour winds. So a little bit windy, but, I mean, pretty good weather for Buffalo. Uh, but the main storyline for me is on the Steelers side of things. Chris, do you think Ben Roethlisberger hit a wall at the end of last year, or does he have a chance to bounce back? I think it was a weird situation last year. It just seemed like the team didn't like each other that much. And there was some issues overall and the defense, you know, I think we could obviously we're to talk more about the DVOA there, but certainly a team that really brought it overall the high, really, really high blitz rate. I think was something that kept in a lot more games than they might've been otherwise, but I guess I'm buying into some of the stuff with Roethlisberger, hopefully having an uptick this year with having the offensive coordinators, you know, game planning a little more to what he wants to do. I know his aversion to play action has been an issue that doesn't look great for the data, but still have really talented wide receivers there. I think having Freermuth at tight end as well, another big bodied guy to go alongside. If they go two tight ends with him and Ebron, like that is a, a dangerous duo, assuming that Ebron is still, you know, keeping up to some standard of what he's been historically. So I think there's a lot of hope here. I just think the hard part for fantasy, if you are, you know, especially for DFS, if you're trying to stack these guys up, like, do you go to Claypool? Do you go to Juju? Do you go to Deontay Johnson who has been the best route runner and the best high target guy overall? Like there's a lot of questions on that front, but I think Ben's, you know, really his outlook as a season long QB, I think is pretty solid. Yeah. I'll circle back to those DFS thoughts in a second, but to the Roethlisberger point specifically, I think I have two major thoughts. One is we know that the team started 10 and 0 last year and then really faded hard down the stretch, but From my perspective, a lot of that was based on the teams that they were playing and their strong defenses. So after that 10-0 start, they they hit Baltimore, Washington, Buffalo, Cincy, Indianapolis, and then Cleveland, both in the regular season and playoffs. Those teams were ranked 9th, 2nd, 12th, 27th, 7th, and 25th in pass defense DVOA. And I would say by the end of the year, Cleveland's pass defense was much improved there. So I think you're kind of experiencing a split that makes you think there's a fall off happening when it may just be like a weird schedule anomaly. So in that sense, I expect Roethlisberger to rebound. And then I can't get beyond the fact that I think Roethlisberger was making a bit of a strategic choice to throw the ball less deep down the field than he had in previous years, not because of the shoulder necessarily, but because of offensive line problems. And and last year, the, the Steelers were the 32nd ranked team in adjusted line yards, our measurement of run blocking, but they had the number one adjusted sack rate I think we all know that quarterbacks have more to do with sacks than their offensive line. I think Roethlisberger was just trying to get the ball out quickly, save himself from a bad offensive line. And in my mind, that's going to happen again this year. Their offensive line is even less established than it was the year before. They've turned over guys to inexperienced rookies. And that's why I think that the passing game is going to continue to throw a lot of passes and it's going to help Roethlisberger and his receivers. While I think maybe Najee Harris may not be as valuable from a DFS perspective early in the year. I think it's a fair point to make. And I think, yeah, you look at the numbers for Ben, a 7.4 air yards per attempt last year, which is a very low number. One of the, you know, definitely on the lower percentiles in the league. And, you know, for a big bodied guy like Ben, whose whole thing has been kind of recklessly throwing it downfield. And maybe you're, I think you're right. Like line play pointing to that certainly can get in your head a little bit more. So you got to hope there's more comfort there. I might be a little more bullish on Najee Harris. I think that for DFS, he's an interesting play for, you know, best ball and some of the season long drafts. I think he was going a little bit too high, but I'm kind of hoping that the tide rises here with Ben. And I do believe he's got one more run at him. Like if you're Ben, you see these guys who are your age, you know, Tom Brady, obviously being the best example, still going out there, still doing it in a major way. Like I, I want to believe that Ben's got one more uh, gunslinger left mentality year in him. And I'm hoping that he's, he's been doing yoga, Scott. I don't know if you heard, he's really in great <laughs> shape. So he's going to be fantastic this year. I'm sure. Speaking of being in the best shape of your life, Chris, my favorite DFS play for this game is actually Devin Singletary of the Bills at 5,300 and FanDuel. I see that as a $400 underpricing there. And I know, I mean, I've been falling for the Singletary thing for years, but like he's a constant, 
uh, extreme broken tackle guy. I just love the skill set. And I, he's not in necessarily a great situation, but I think this week it could work out for him because you're playing the Steelers. You mentioned some of the, the like superlatives of their defense, but uh, they cut run plays by 2% and rushing yards per attempt by 8%. To me, those things seem like, like more targeted towards a problem for Zach Moss, the power back, and less towards Singletary, who I expect to get some work receiving out of the backfield. So I would kind of zag in that way and think Singletary could be an option. Obviously not going to be as productive as Najee Harris, likely a bell cow, but with the salary considerations, I think he's a good play this week. Yeah, nice DFS price of Singletary, 4,700. Candidly, he's not really one of my guys just because I think Josh Allen being such a heavy rusher does take some things yeah, off the table. That's true. That's said in a game where you're going against a team that's going to be blitzing, you know, at almost half the time, or at least, you know, assuming those rates hold up over the course of the year, uh, you know, of a new year, rather. Like, I think maybe then you could see a little more of the dump off game to Singletary. But to me, you know, the running back who does have some pass game opportunity theoretically, but has a running back or has a quarterback that's going to run more, I think it's something I generally try to avoid. So that's something that would not him down a little bit for me, but if you're just kind of expecting things to level out, Josh Allen, I know it was talked about on the show yesterday with uh, Mike and Aaron and JP, just talking about maybe expecting some regression for Josh Allen. If you do believe that's the case, Singletary is a logical beneficiary, and I, you know, I think that's certainly a logical case to be made. I just worry about Zach Moss being there. Like he's definitely somebody they like, and does seem to have a nose for the end zone, whatever that means. Obviously, we know how volatile touchdowns can be. I mean, I, I won't fall for this more than like seven or eight times. I mean, eventually <laughs> I'm going to move off of Singletary, but right now I still like him. All right. Next up, we have Vikings at Bengals again, 1 PM Sunday in Cincy, 83 degrees and clear with 12 miles per hour winds. My major storyline is, is Joe Burrow going to make the year two leap? Obviously coming off the knee injuries that, that knocked him out last year and led to some trepidation in the early preseason. Plus you have Jamar Chase. Was that a good pick? Should they pick Penny Sewell? Chase has been dropping everything. What are your overall thoughts here about the, the Bengals passing offense? I think they are overvalued by a pretty wide margin. And some of the stuff that jumps out to me from last year was this is a team that really did want to run more. They certainly, you know, couldn't mm. run as much as they would have liked to down the stretch of the year because things kind of fell off. But team with a low pace, the pace we had for football outsiders last year, a 32nd pace, you know, a lower mark in the league. And I think that's sort of where they would like things to go is to have a little more Joe Mixon involved. I don't think they're going to have enough volume to sustain three receivers, at least, you know, in a way where you can reliably look at them every week. Um, I have no issue kind of with them overall. Like I think the defense, you know, being a little more improved will be uh, certainly the case. So DVOA not looking the most friendly on, on Cincinnati's <laughs> numbers overall, I think. So that's something to keep in mind too. But I just kind of expect them to not play the way that people do. I think they're expecting him, them to be, you know, Cowboys East or Cowboys uh, mid-country, Cowboys chili country, I guess is what people are expecting the Bengals to be. And I just don't see that for them. So I think to me, you know, being under on them overall is an appealing option. And it's worth pointing out, you know, uh, my former employer at Osmo, who I think does some of the best ownership projections out there for DFS, as T. Higgins being one of the chalk plays of the week in DFS. DFS on DraftKings, which I think comes with more risk, especially with, you know, having Jamar chase in that mix. I just don't see the same role for these guys this year. And I think it's going to be really hard to pinpoint who's the breakout wide receiver every single week. I'll circle back to that and look like an idiot in a minute, but let me get back to the Burrow point real quick. It's just, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic about Burrow. I'm not discounting the fact that they may have a little bit more balance on offense than they did previously. I'm just not quite as doom and gloom as the public on Burrow and having pass protection, because again, quarterbacks have so much to do with their pass protection. It's not all about the offensive linemen. And last year to the point with Burrow on the field, the Bengals had a 7.3% sack rate, but that jumped up to 8.3% when he got injured. So I think Burrow was kind of equipped to make those quick decisions. Um, his 7.3% sack rate and 7.1% hurry rate last year were not egregious. Guys like Carson Wentz and Daniel Jones were over 9% sack rates. Uh, Jones and Darnold were over 10% hurry rates. I don't think it's quite as bad as you would think. Um, 
And I think part of it was the fact that the Bengals are relying a lot on three receiver sets. 83% of their plays last year was second most in the league. I think that was about like a transition comfort where at LSU, he was playing a lot of those spread concepts and stuff. And I think as he gets more comfortable, you'll see stuff more like, you know, the, the play action game, things that lead to easier opportunities, lead to less pressure. And that's why I think the passing game can work. And I think the Burrow can work, even though last year was kind of a frightening situation there with the injury. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, coming off the knee injury, I think a guy who also has shown some mobility and a little bit of rushing touchdown equity, you definitely don't want to be reticent out there or be reluctant yeah. to run because that's going to be a part of his value. But I look, I think to me, he's one of these guys like Joe Burrow and two, you know, two of the younger QBs out there. I just don't have the greatest read on like I Joe Burrow. I think if he had stayed healthy throughout that year, I would feel a lot better about him than Tua. But I think these are two guys coming with question marks. And for fantasy, you're not really getting the discount, I think, for the question marks. So that's sort of my my main concern here. And especially you see the edge line too. you know, 44 line for edge compared to 47 line in the market. Like that's another sign here. that Maybe this game won't be quite as fantasy fruitful as people are hoping for. All right, let me loop back to me being dumb. So my favorite DFS play of this game is T. Higgins, your guy at $4,700 in DraftKings. I see that as being well underpriced at $900. And it's not so much about the Higgins versus Jamar Chase thing. I'm honestly not that worried about the drops. It's more the the play against the opponent here where the Vikings boost passing yards and touchdowns by 11% and 18% per attempt, respectively. Maybe they'll be better. They got healthier, but I do feel like this is a pretty plus matchup for Burrow in the passing game. And so I think that Higgins benefits and and maybe multiple of these guys do. Yeah, I think the question here, and I think the DVOA does back that out too, where you have the wide receiver one, according to DVOA, getting over an 18% boost. And that's uh, that would be good for a 28th ranking in the league um, in terms of the defense that Minnesota is bringing to the table. So I think the question then becomes like, is T Higgins the wide receiver one or is Jamar Chase the wide receiver one or you know, Tyler Boyd for volume too? Maybe you could sort of consider him that though, obviously working a little more out of the slot. I think that's the one thing here where, you know, if my DFS mind tells me that if the field's going to be very heavy on T Higgins, you probably would like to go a little more heavy on Jamar Chase just in the hopes that he yeah. sort of seizes that production away. But it's sort of hard to argue with the production Higgins had, had last year, you know, almost two deep targets a game. That's a very valuable thing. We do a show called Splash Play for good reason. We are, we're all about <laughs> the big plays here in football. And obviously T Higgins was as good as that as, as anybody at that last year. I mean, I have no problems going chase as well. I just, I, I would have a little piece of the, of the Bengals passing game this mm-hmm. week. Okay, next up, 49ers at Lions. That's in Detroit, 1 p.m. in the Dome. Uh, Chris, what do you think about the, the 49ers offense this season? Finally healthy after leading the league in adjusted games lost last year, hurt badly on both sides of the ball. I'll mention that when Jimmy G was last healthy for a full season in 2019, the team ran on 51% of their plays, second highest rate in football. So like is the Kyle Shanahan experience, is it just going to run over all of their teams, especially the Lions? I think that's my concern here, really. Like, I love Brandon Ayuk. I think that he is a, a tremendous asset here. He was the guy that jumped out where everybody still loves Debo Samuel, but Debo's kind of a gadget guy. Like, to me, he's sort of the... A 2021 or 2020 last year equivalent of like a Percy Harvin where okay. like maybe there'll be some days where it works out, but he's not the guy getting the ball downfield. Whereas Ayuk was like tremendous in every facet of that, even with the quarterbacks being rotated around and being you know swapped out for injury and all that as they were dealing with. But I agree with you. This is a run first team. Raheem Mostert is the first guy I would look at. Obviously, Trey Sermon is going to be coming up and certainly going to be somebody that um, can be capable of, of adding value, but also kind of stripping some away from Mostert. So I agree. I think they know at this point what they have in Jimmy G. They want to run first offense. And if you are going to go against Detroit, who was so bad according to DVOA last year, both for the pass and the run, like they can do whatever they want here. And they are clearly a team that wants to run. So like, I expect Ayuk to have a good day or, you know, a decent day, but at a certain point, like is Jared Goff going to keep up? He wasn't keeping up when he was on the Rams with the Niners. I don't know. He's doing it in this, this really, really bad Detroit team. So, I mean, I I'm with you that Ayuk has the high ceiling of the 49ers 
wide receivers. I mean, I think he could be a real star in the league, but I'll quibble slightly with the gadget label on Samuel. I would kind of label it instead. He's like a Kyle Shanahan specific scheme player because both he and George Kittle. So Samuel 9.6 yards after contact per reception since 2019. That's the highest among all wide receivers with 50 or more catches. Kittle 6.7 yards after the catch per catch since 2019, third highest among tight ends with 50 plus catches. To me, these are guys that are sort of built to make it easy on the quarterback, getting those yards after the catch, making the offense simple, making it the offense low mistake, kind of extending the run game beyond even the run. I mean, like they're probably going to be running more than anybody, but even when they're throwing, they're basically running. So, I mean, that's what I love about this offense. And that's also kind of why I think that the quarterback transition to Trey Lance is actually going to go more smoothly than many expect after the drops and stuff in the preseason, but love all of that. Yeah, I think those are reasonable takes too. And I have to point out too, like this is a big one where I think, you know, when you're looking at it with our edge line, which, you know, does come from 100,000 simulations or 100,000 plus simulations, maybe 100,001, we could say, uh, simulations sure. <laughs> for each game. But, uh, but, you know, it's an eight point spread right now on some of the books out there. And we have it as a two point spread. So maybe thinking that this game is going to be, you know, a boat race might be the wrong decision. Maybe Detroit can hang in there, be a little more competitive with Dan Campbell bringing not much in the way of game planning expertise, but certainly a lot of moxie for the Detroit side. Um, I think there's potential here that the game could be closer if we are going to go off the edge projections. And I think that's something to keep in mind here, where when you see that big of a discrepancy, there could be value just to try to get away from what the field is seeing. And right now the field is seeing a runaway game here for the Niners. I mean, I love Detroit's new head coach, Dan Campbell. So I'm not going to say anything negative there, but I will say that I think there is blowout potential here, whatever you think of what like the average case scenario would be. And that's one of the reasons why I think Raheem Mostert is a really nice value at 6,100 in FanDuel. $400 $400 underpriced in our model. Um, part of this is just Mostert's skill set. So since the, the start of 2019, 5.4 yards per attempt, 3.4 yards before contact per attempt. Both of those are first among running backs with 150 plus carries. I think people forget like how important speed is mm-hmm. both to this offense and in general to running backs. And I just feel like he's such a tremendous fit for the Shanahan scheme. Sermon's going to be involved in the long term, but while Mostert is healthy and while it's the beginning of the year, I think he's just a really nice option for you. Plus the Lions, they increased run plays by 13% per game, touchdowns per carry by 40%. It just all lines up for me here to make it a really nice DFS option. Yep, I would agree. I think if you're going to trust anything here, trust the running game. But you know, I think Brandon Ayuk as a tournament play for DFS, I think it's certainly an interesting one. A guy who had a lot of target share was getting the deep looks downfield, even with bad QB play. And mm-hmm. I think to me, has shown a lot of the peripheral numbers that I look at where um, I think as a you know a cheap play and maybe a pivot to some other really high owned plays out there. I think Ayuk is the one that I would probably like the most. Sure. I can buy that for sure. I'll take a quick break to mention that we're currently live on twitch.tv slash FB outsiders. So if you want to get on there, get on the chat, feel free to ask Chris and I any questions you want. Plus all season long, we're Monday through Friday at 1 PM, um, either me or Aaron shots doing either fantasy or non-fantasy shows, all kinds of great content coming at you from football outsiders on Twitch and elsewhere. Uh, Chris, the next game we have is the Cardinals at Titans Sunday at 1 p.m. in Tennessee. Another game with good weather and, and little wind and no precipitation. Uh, my storyline here is a kind of a very fantasy specific one, but is can Kyler Murray play well on the road? I know the Titans defense underwhelmed a little bit last year where they added some new talent and Murray just has really extreme home road splits uh, in his career. 23.1 fantasy points per game at home versus 18.3 on the road. You love that West Coast team's flying East trope, but in this case, is it true? 
I think for Kyler in particular, it's going to be, I mean, with the numbers last year fell off of cliff when he had a shoulder injury, which you might expect he was already, you know, mm-hmm. kind of doing the mighty mouse thing, being small, running a lot and having to deal with a lot of contact. When you add in a shoulder injury to that, you could certainly, you know, yeah. pinpoint why the production might go down, but I agree overall, you know, looking at Arizona this week in this matchup, uh, you know, one that edge has just under a 50 point over under projected uh, the field right now, or the, the books out there have it at 52. I think that's a spot where, you know, maybe edge is a little bit less bullish, but still one of the better totals on the week. And I think that's something where, you know, going to Kyler, going to some of the past game, I think it's sort of tough to unpack, you know, the Chase Edmonds, James Connor part of things mm-hmm. where I am a Chase Edmonds guy, but I certainly can see how Connor can be that back that just gets 15 carries and just kind of ruins everything. So I think it's an interesting play. I think you know, I have the same questions here about who you really target, but I feel like you have to have some degree of comfort with Kyler Murray. I think playing him unstacked in DFS is a pretty okay move, both for cash and I think for DFS tournaments. But, you know, maybe taking a stab on him and DeAndre Hopkins. I think some questions for me is AJ Green have anything left in that tank? And is he going to mm. take any meaningful targets away? Same thing for the growth of Christian Kirk. I think you can ask those questions as well. But Kyler in the spot, you know, Tennessee's defense wasn't good. DVOA backs it out as well. A 12% boost across the board. Like they got a lot of shootouts last year. And this does seem like a spot where maybe they get into another one. Yeah, they were the number 30 DVOA pass defense last year. So you, it feels like a really enticing matchup. But I'll say that from a fantasy perspective, They also had more interceptions than a typical team, boosting that by 15%, 10th highest. Plus they added, I mean, they added some real talent this offseason. Bud Dupree, Danico Autry, Janoris Jenkins on the back end. That's more than $50 million in guarantees. And I know some of that was probably paying sticker price and free agency, but I'm not sure they're going to be quite as bad as they were last year in that respect. And so at least for now, I'm still kind of leaning on the Kyler Murray. I really only want him in DFS and home games right now. He can prove me wrong. You would think that as a runner, he would be a little bit less like, location specific. Um, but that's kind of where I'm leading right now. Yeah. I just see the eight rushes per game. He had last year, 1.6 rushes in the red zone for, which is one of the higher marks for QB actually might be, I don't have all the numbers in front of me right now, but I think that's one of the highest marks in the league for a QB last year. There's a lot of touchdown equity there. So yeah, Kyler to me, you're really never going to go wrong. It's just a matter of, is he going to be the best QB on the week, the way you need in a DFS tournament? Yeah. Now, if you are leaning stack, I will say that I think AJ green is a little intriguing at 3,800 in DraftKings. We see him as being underpriced by $700 there, but that said, I don't really have a strong statistical basis for this opinion. Uh, I'm just kind of buying into the camp talk that green is, is potentially going to rebound here. Um, he's starting the season healthy. I just kind of expect that poor health was part of that really precipitous decline in receiving efficiency. I mean, negative 13.9% plus minus last year was the second worst among all receivers. It was really bad last year. Do you believe that the the comeback is, is possible here? I just don't think you could be this bad. Like, you know, with baseball, it's something where, you know, I've done a lot of baseball content over the years too, where a pitcher at a certain point, it's like the numbers can't be worse than this. And he's still a major league pitcher. And that's how I feel about AJ green, where this is a guy who was a monster and he had a 47% yeah. catch rate last year. Like that's not normal. That's not the way it should go. And clearly he was on happy. Clearly the team was also not catering to him in the way that he would have liked, or maybe honestly might've deserved from being the one bangle has been there and sort of rode through uh, the, the good times and the current times. Uh, so I think there's certainly a possibility here for him to just be league average and still make some strides, but I want to believe he's got a little more in the tank. I do tend to like the older guys a little more than the field. Cause I think people really rush to the shiny new toy pretty often. And that's something to me where AJ green, he's been a, tar- a target monster for years. And even in that, that not great offense last year, still getting a good amount of looks. If he does get more efficient looks here and they just dedicate more attention to stopping Hopkins or, you know, keeping Kirk at bay. Like I think there's a room here for green to really be a solid play in a spot where as you mentioned the Tennessee defense just not that good yeah all right next up Seahawks at Colts 1 p.m. Sunday in Indianapolis in their dome speaking of bounce backs my major storyline it has to be 
Can Carson Wentz bounce back from a terrible 2020 season, reuniting with this former play caller in Philadelphia, Frank Reich, now the head coach in Indianapolis? What are your thoughts on Wentz? I, my thoughts on Wentz are not great. I do think in this spot, going into Seattle defense, to give up a 12% boost in passing DVOA. Maybe this is a spot where Wentz does look good and we start to buy in and then the wheels maybe fall off uh, down the stretch of the season. But I think, you know, not having T.Y. Hilton out there is probably not the best way to start the season. But Pittman no. was a really good receiver in some stretches last year. Zach Pascal, we've seen be useful. Paris Campbell showed some flashes last year before he got hurt and unfortunately had to be out the rest of the year. But yeah. there's he's got the weapons here. He's got the coaching. He's got a running game here, a really cleverly crafted running game. Certainly some offensive line issues has been chronicled enough during the offseason. But I want to believe in this spot that he can get there. You know, them being also a home dog in this spot, I think against a high powered offense like he's theoretically, this is probably one of the better outlays he'll have all season long. So I think in this spot, I wouldn't mind taking your chances with him for DFS. But in terms of just relying on him or thinking like, oh, like Carson Wentz is really going to get it done. I don't know. You could ever have that confidence with him with what we've seen the last few years. I mean, after watching Wentz a bit last year, my heart is screaming, no, you won't know part of him. But like my head is like starting to talk myself more into this and maybe I'm dumb again. But here's a big a big difference here with the Eagles last year, especially with all of their offensive linemen injuries. 31.5% offensive pressure rate was was worst among all teams. Last year, the Colts had an 18.1% pressure rate third best in the league, basically half of what the Eagles start had here. I think there might've been a little bit of spiraling here, but Wentz also was particularly bad under pressure, negative 100 or negative 114.6% DVOA. I can't even say it. It's so bad. 1.5 yards per pass attempts. Uh, he was much better without pressure. I mean, he, I wouldn't call it good. 22.3% passing DVOA without pressure. Not great, but I just think that things may be a lot different. They may move a little bit more slowly for him this year with the better surrounding talent. I'm not sure that all adds up in week one. I mean, you mentioned that they're having some injury issues on the line right now, but I could buy the buyback a little bit. Yep. I think if you're going to take a shot, now's the time to do it where people will just have that sour taste in their mouth of everything that Carson Wentz has done recently. And, and granted, it's all been bad since that ACL tear in that Rams game. But I would say for him, you know, if you're going to buy in, buy in now before, you know, before everybody sort of smartens up. And I think that's the one thing too, which I guess we, you know, we could talk about briefly, but week one, you know, people don't know anything right now. And I think that's the main time where you take advantage of, you know, some of the, you just going against the assumptions, going against the grain a little bit more. And, and Carson Wentz is being competent, a very realistic possibility that people just probably aren't banking on. Totally agree. That being said, my favorite DFS play for this game is actually Russell Wilson, 7,800 on FanDuel. Not a huge underpricing here, but 500 underpriced in, in our model here. This is this is not a good matchup for Wilson. Um, he's averaged 3.2 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road in recent seasons. Uh, so you, you don't love that there. But I just I feel like the pricing is a little bit too discounted for a guy that I think is just you know, elite player in that respect. He's the sixth highest priced at the position, $1,000 less than Mahomes in the format. So I think the discount is a little bit too steep for the situation. Do you feel the same, Chris? I think so. I like, I think Russell Wilson's one of those guys. It's always tough to me because if you try to stack them up with some of the other guys, you get to your, um, you know, your Metcast or your Lockets or anybody like that, the price tag starts to get it's a little bit onerous. Expensive. And at that, yeah. Yeah, at that point, why not go to the Chiefs? Why not go to the mm -hmm. Browns? Like, why not go some other direction? I think is the one thing I have with Seattle. But yeah, in terms of a shootout potential here, like, I think it's certainly there. You know, the edge line is a little bit lower than where the books have it 45 line from edge right now compared to 49 over some of the books out there. So um, I think I can never never talk anybody out of taking a stab at Russell Wilson. But when I see too, that Metcalf and Lockett both projected to be over 10% owned by, uh, by Osmo's uh, DFS team over there. Yeah. I think that's a spot where I worry a little bit about being overowned and then maybe not being worth the salaries. But I, you know, again, it's one of those things you just can't talk somebody out of. Sure. 
Okay, next up, Chargers at the Washington football team, 1 p.m. in Washington, but 81 and clear with low winds there as well. Uh, the major storyline here, maybe the biggest bugaboo in my mind of my projection system this year, can Antonio Gibson become another Christian McCaffrey? I think the reasons to be optimistic, on one hand, J.D. McKissick had 110 targets last season, so you feel like, hey, if Gibson just takes those, like he, he can be McCaffrey. But there are also reasons to be pessimistic because Gibson hasn't played third downs yet in the NFL. Um you're transitioning from a guy like Alex Smith, who was an outlier thrower to running backs last year and in his career to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, I don't know. I talk myself into this and out of it two times a day. So what are your thoughts, Chris? I love Ryan Fitzpatrick in this spot. I think to me, the the Washington football team is the one that I expect to win the NFC East. I know we saw okay. certainly a great showing from the Cowboys yesterday that maybe will make people uh, juice those odds a little up a little bit more. But you look at the DVOA numbers for both how great the Washington defense was last year and how bad they were offensively. I think getting Fitzpatrick in, you know, especially for fantasy, like he's the kind of guy that you look at. And he's been a producer for all these guys. He made Devontae Parker relevant for uh, yeah. far longer than probably a lot of other quarterbacks would. And this spot to me, where also we have Curtis Samuel going on IR. I think the Fitzpatrick McLaurin duo is really appealing here. You could also talk me into Diami uh, Brown. You could talk me into Logan Thomas. I just think Fitzpatrick is one of those guys where production follows him everywhere. And I'm curious too. Like I think your Antonio Gibson takes, I'm I'm with you. Like I think he's an interesting play. I think there's at least a shot here where he can be that McCaffrey type issues. You still do have McKissick there. I think losing Barber was a positive for just his overall workload, but Fitzpatrick does run a little bit more and does take away some end zone, uh, some rushing mm-hmm. uh, equity, I guess, in the red zone overall. So I don't know the Gibson side of things, but I do think McLaurin to me, like he is yeah, going to be a big beneficiary of the fact Absolutely. that it's going to chuck it. Absolutely. I mean, he's been what a top 15 fantasy receiver with just garbage throwing nothing, in the ball. Yeah, I mean, with, with Haskins doing nothing out there. I've always loved my guy, Kyle Allen from his Panther days, but you know, it's, it's not exactly a top quarterback, you know, enabling his fantasy success. So, I mean, I, I think the, the possibilities there are sky high. Honestly, that's part of my case, like the, the devil on your shoulder against Gibson. But part of it too is like adding guys like Curtis Samuel. If he's going to be hurt, then maybe that does shift a little bit more of the target volume to Gibson. Again, I can't really decide. And I think that's probably why that I'm I'm looking at the, the Chargers here for my favorite DFS play. Kind of a sneakier one here, but Jared Cook, the tight end, only 3,800 in DraftKings. I think that's a $300 underpricing. I'm basically all in on the Chargers offense. I, I mean, I just love Justin Herbert potentially making the year two leap. But I think Cook is being a little bit forgotten about uh, he's averaged 12.9 yards per catchable target uh, since 2020. That's the second highest among tight ends with 50 or more targets. He's 34 years old, so I think people think he's a little bit washed, but the efficiency is still there, and I like him this week. Yeah, I'm a, I'm very much in agreement with you on Cook. I thought he was really undervalued in best ball drafts throughout the summer, and I would say, you know, I I was an XFL fan too, so I like Donald Parham. I like that he's a big bodied guy who runs like a gazelle. But it did seem like even at the end of last year, they wanted Steven Anderson more out there than Parham. Like it's a different regime, so maybe that does change around a little bit more. But I agree. I think they brought in Jared Cook for that veteran presence to know that he can still get downfield. You look at his numbers last year, you know, still getting 12.4 air yards per target. Mm-hmm. Um, in his spot in New or- in New Orleans, where you know you had Taysom Hill for part of that year, you had Drew. Breeze. These guys were not necessarily throwing deep down the field a lot. And he was still getting that much of a love downfield. That's just always been his game. So I think this spot with Herbert, who we also know loves throwing the deep ball, I think there's a lot of potential for Cook to be useful. Just, you know, the question is really like, is he going to get usurped by some of these younger guys who do have potential? But I think in the early part of the year, I really have no reservations with Cook at all. And I'll inject another reminder here that stuff like that yards per catchable target, all of those air yard stats, all of that, you can find it and filter on it on the new Football Outsiders Plus player research tools. So definitely check that out on footballoutsiders.com. Let's shift over to my favorite team, hopefully starting the season soft, but who knows? Jets of the Panthers. That's in Carolina, 80 degrees clear with five mile per hour winds. 
Chris, speaking of bounce back quarterbacks again, will Sam Darnold be better than Teddy Bridgewater was enabling fantasy success for players like Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson in the Panthers offense? So it's it's tough because I, I'm a USC alum. You could see my my little USC blanket behind me. I love you know the team. Uh, they are an important part of my, who I am as an adult. But yeah. Sam Darnold has been so unimpressive. And you look through the numbers from last year, and it could be the Adam Gase effect. Could be the Jets just kind of ruining him. I don't know. But I have I have concerns. You know, and I think buying in and hoping that it does work out for the best is what I would still err on the side of. I, I love Joe Brady. I love the offense. Obviously, we saw what that did in college for Joe Burrow. We even saw some stretches last year. Like Bridgewater is probably the most useful as a fantasy QB as he's ever been and also created a lot of production for uh, for DJ Moore and for Robbie Anderson. But in this spot, I think I'm willing to take the stab. I just worry that maybe the Jets defense is a little better with bringing in Robert Sala. There were still some signs of life, I think, overall, though DVOA, not the most supportive of the Jets. But um, it's not a great total here, but I think I will take some stabs. And if Darnold fails, another XFL star, PJ Walker, waiting in the wings to throw 10 deep balls a game and probably three picks in the process. But um, something here has got to work at some point, Scott. I have to believe it, given that I just think Joe Brady is a, a genius offensive mind and does all the stuff analytically that you'd like to see a, you know, a team do. I mean, I'm hoping you're right, obviously, being a Panthers fan. And t- to me, like I've kind of gone both ways on this, but like their offensive linemen aren't very good. And I mean, they definitely aren't going to be good this year with Cameron Irving and Pat Elfline on the left side. Um, Irving blew 2.6% of his, his pass blocks last year, but it was kind of an injury-shortened year, 8.6% the year before, not good. Elfline 3.6% or worse in the last three seasons. But all that said, and with the offensive line issues, they were still 15th in the year in offensive pressure rate last year, while the Jets were 29th at 30.3%. So I think there really are real scheme benefits to what's going on here. And Darnold may have the benefits of some like easier type completions, especially if McCaffrey can be healthy this year. So I can talk myself into it a little bit. Let me ask you a trivia question. So Teddy Bridgewater played 15 games last year. How many passing touchdowns do you think he threw? Ooh, I know it wasn't enough because I remember being frustrated a lot with Robbie and, yeah. and DJ Moore just getting a ton of targets and yards, but not ever <laughs> getting in the end zone. I think it has to be, I would guess, 21. It was 15. Oh, God. Okay. 15. And he didn't even have McCaffrey in there stealing the goal line touchdowns the way that could happen this season. So, like, I'm as as kind of like semi bullish I am on the passing offense, maybe tip, taking a step forward. To me, I'm not sure that really enables guys like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson to be real fantasy assets because I just don't think the touchdowns are going to be there. Like I think the Panthers can move the ball, but I, I'm just not sure it's going to really work out from a fantasy perspective for anybody, but maybe McCaffrey. Yeah. And I would say Terrace Marshall being in the mix too. Like he does look like a guy who is going to have something to offer at some point soon. And I think, you know, certainly has kind of similar prototypes to, I think Robbie Anderson being able to get yeah. down the field and DJ Moore too. They've kind of evolved to more of a down the field guy. So yeah. I think there's some risk there, but the offense is going to be interesting. It's just a matter of, you know, again, another case where can you really pinpoint where the production is going to come from besides McCaffrey? I even like Dan Arnold as sort of a, a project signing there too, because like he's been always a really high efficiency, like yards per target, yards per catchable target tight end, but never had the volume to support it. Uh, they didn't really have anything at tight end last year. So I think that's a stinky way that they might've added some guys that are going to take away from the target shares that guys like Moore and Anderson have enjoyed uh, while being sort of part of the fewer cogs to that, that Panthers machine. Now I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here too, by saying that I think Sam Darnold is a pretty decent DFS option. If you're looking for a cheaper quarterback, 6,500 in FanDuel, $400 underpriced. Uh, but this isn't really about what I think of the offense from a week to week standpoint. It's more the fact that Darnold has traditionally performed much better at home than on the road, 4.7 more fantasy points per game there in his career, 
the Panthers weren't the home, but I'm assuming that there's sort of a similar effect going on. And then two, the matchup here where the Jets increased passing yards per attempt by 4% and touchdowns per attempt by 18%, both top 10 at the position. They're dealing with a lot of injuries. Uh, I think the pass rush may be kind of faltering at the beginning of the year with some of the injuries there. So I think Darnold just enjoys a really cushy start to the season. Do you think you would use him in DFS or is that scraping the bottom of the barrel a bit too much? I think he's worth some shots in DFS, you know, and I know, you know, DFS players out there, casual sports fan, always love the revenge narrative and you're getting a double here. You're getting Darnold <laughs> right. and Robbie Anderson. Absolutely. So I think game. that has some appeal as well. Boost the ownership projections by, uh, you know, 1% for that, I guess. But I, look, I, I want to believe that he's worth some stabs. I certainly will take a few stabs there. It's just, you know, I think that it's perfectly fair to have some reservations given the fact that you look at the numbers and there really is not a single thing that jumps out from Darnold last year where you're like, oh, there's a, there's some hope here. It's like, boy, everything was bad in every facet of the game. You cannot make a statistical case for it. That's no. just the fact of the matter. And honestly, that's why our Kubiak projections are so low on the Panthers receivers, because they don't see on paper that Darnold is any upgrade over Bridgewater. But I'm as kind of a half fan, half analyst. I'm, I have a little bit of hope that that could be the case. I'm rooting for them just for you, Scott. Now that's, that's I, I appreciate nothing it. else for me and for, for your USC brother, yes, uh, for sure. Okay. Um, next up we have Jaguars at Texans, uh, still Sunday, 1 PM. This is in the dome in Houston. Uh, the major storyline from my perspective is, is a poor pass protection, triple P alliteration there, a little tough on me. Will that sabotage the year one production of a seemingly can't miss quarterback prospect in Trevor Lawrence? It was definitely a big issue in the preseason. What do you think now that the year's getting started for real? I think in this spot going against Houston, I know Houston, we had some some changes there that they've made have made them look a little more favorably in terms of the DVOA projections for the year and how, you know, the defense might be a little more improved. But I um, mean, I think that's also reflected in the line here. But in this spot, if we're going off what Houston was last year and, you yeah. know, not believing that bringing in Lovey Smith as a coordinator is going to help them out and really you know make a material difference along with the signings. It's hard to see how this wouldn't be the best possible. Let's start the you know start the year on the right foot situation <laughs> totally agree. based on what Houston gave out last year. And and Lawrence, I think the one thing that jumped out to me looking through his college stats, like he you could sort of make the argument for system QB just because he did whatever the offense asked of him and he wasn't pressing the ball downfield, you know, like a Justin Fields was or a Zach Wilson was. Yeah. But he's a guy that's just going to do take whatever's there. And Houston will always have something there for you, whether it be little dink and dunk plays. We saw the rapport he had with LaVisca Chenaultney in the preseason. I think that was something noteworthy. DJ Chark got sort of maligned by Urban Meyer um, in the preseason or in the offseason, rather. But then it does seem like them cutting Colin Johnson means that DJ Chark is going to be that big bodied guy out there still for a large majority of the routes. He's got the weapons, so I believe in, in Trevor Lawrence here. I just think the one reservation I have is that this is one spot where we are uh, at edge. We're very different from the books where uh, it is Houston favored by one in the edge line compared to a uh, three-point spread favoring Jacksonville according to the books out there. So maybe there is hope for Houston. It's just it's hard to see it, and I, I don't know that I have that leap of faith compared to the weapons on Jacksonville side, Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I've heard Aaron say a number of times that like there's a lot more average talent, um, not necessarily plus talent, on the Texans roster than than an outsider would expect. But to me, that doesn't translate to a likely pass rush this year. I mean, last year, they were the number 32 team in defensive pressure rate, 19.1%, and then lost J.J. Watt to the Cardinals this offseason. So maybe there's some talent kind of hidden in various places on the offense and defense, but I don't really think it's going to be a problem in terms of pass pressure for Lawrence this week. Um, and honestly, the Jaguars, I'm not sure it's as bad as it looked in the preseason. They were dealing with some offensive line injuries and sometimes playing backups against other teams, starters, kind of weird stuff like that. But last year, 13th best in offensive pressure rate would probably surprise some people. 
So I have some optimism. I mean, I'm trusting guys like Derek Klassen who tell me that Lawrence is a generational prospect. And so I'm kind of willing to write it. I can't really suss out whether I think DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, or maybe even Marvin Jones is going to be the beneficiary. But I think this offense could move the ball this week. I think there could be surprising amounts of scoring in this game. Yeah, and I hope so too for James Robinson. Like I think he's a guy that last year just did the best he could from a really god awful situation across the board yeah. for both him as a running back. Like he shouldn't be getting uh, thirty touches down the stretch of games where you're getting blown out, but he still you know was out there every game fighting for what he could. And you know I'm hoping that he gets the opportunity to get a little more pass game work with ATN. Unfortunately, hurt for the year, and yeah. we'll see what the Carlos Hyde effect is too. Because you know certainly Urban Meyer familiar with Carlos Hyde, and Carlos Hyde is one of those guys that just continues to find work over and over again when it doesn't make sense. So. Um, I, I agree. Like there's talent here. And I think that from a fantasy perspective, it's an interesting spot to go here and hope that you do capture, you know, Jacksonville is putting a beat down on a Houston defense that was you know, really overmanned last year. And Robinson actually is my favorite DFS play in this game, 5,900 in FanDuel. I see it as pretty significantly underpriced at 800. Um, you mentioned the big part of this probably, which is that Etienne is out for the season. So that puts a lot of work in my mind on Robinson, but I don't know. What do you think? I'm too bullish. I actually have um, Robinson as the 18th running back in PPR formats um, for the season following that injury. Is that, is that too high? Am I, am I a little bit too bullish here on that? I'm, I'm a James Robson believer. And certainly I was a little earlier on him. I took him uh, over a Zigbo and some basketball drafts last year. And that was definitely what helped me get, you know, pretty deep in on a few of the ones on DraftKings. So I might have a little bit of a bias here, but I agree. Like he had tremendous volume. He was also getting past game work four targets a game last year. And you know, will that be the case with Trevor Lawrence being a little bit more mobile? I, I don't know, but I think there's a lot of reason to have belief here because we saw he can handle that workload and be productive with it in a spot where there was really no logic to him being productive. Like these were bad game scripts. It wasn't a great team in any in any situation at all but he was still getting work if this team is good and they're also salting some games away from time to time with a lead there's no reason to believe he can't be you know take to really take that lead meaningfully you're also getting a young player getting that that early career boost as well so yeah i'm with you i think james robson a strong dfs play and also a guy where if you could somehow get him in a season-long league like i think there's reason to have hope here if people are undervaluing him can I give you a quick aside? So I'm in this super deep dynasty league and i have no running backs it's a real situation and last year um after uh, whoever it was that got hurt. I can't even remember right now. I grabbed everybody that I knew that was on that roster. Zigbo, I was grabbing Nathan Contrell, whoever that like former pass catcher was from Washington. I was like, oh, I have everybody. No matter who this is, I'm getting this guy. Honestly, I'd never heard of Robinson. He was undrafted. I didn't grab him. Two days later, someone else grabs him. I'm like, I'm an idiot. Oh my God. Yeah, the so, Ryquel Armstead last year was the tough one where it was like he was so right, good before it. filling in for Fournette. Yeah, and yeah he had the COVID too. and he had he had the bad COVID where he was he, he was did. Done. he missed the yeah. whole year, basically. Yeah. So that stunk. But anyway, now that we have the the vision of hindsight here, I think Robbins is a really good player. And he's just the 27th most expensive running back in FanDuel this week. So even if you're not as bullish as I am for the full season, I think it's a little bit of a value here. Mm -hmm. All right, let's transition to the 425 window. Maybe the best game, Browns at Chiefs, uh, plus your, your maybe dad or, or stepdad or whatever, the, the Spagnolo here, uh, <laughs> D coordinator. But I'm actually more interested in the Browns defense because they added a lot of pieces here this offseason. And so my question is, will the Browns defensive additions make them a team to fade uh, offenses against this year in DFS? I don't know. I, I think to me, this game jumps out as the one where it's really tough to get to in DFS, but there is going to be a lot of reason to get there. This is one of the only lines that Edge has projected to go for 50 uh, for the entire Sunday slate, both the okay. early games and the late games. So that's an important part to me. 
And I think, you know, Cleveland too, we saw them be able to stay in games last year. We saw them even when they were getting beaten down in the first half, find ways back in just by you know sheer force of will, sheer passing volume from Baker Mayfield. So this game to me, I think is one where um, ownership looking really low on it. It looks like a spot where Kansas City, I think, can be in a shootout. Uh, I think there's certainly some risk that I guess the the total could be a little lower. But when I see you know 53 over under from Edge, a 54 over under from the books, that's pretty close. And that's two cosigns there saying that this is mm-hmm. going to be one of the higher scoring games of the week. And you know, I guess hopefully behind the well, maybe not not hopefully behind the Bucks and Cowboys, but at least in that range. So I'm more of a believer here. And I think if you do get to these guys and find a way to stack up, like you know a Mahomes Kelsey Hill stack has some appeal. Run it back with a Nick Chubb. It's really expensive, and there's values out there you can take advantage of. And we Week one, the Marquez Callaways of the world to get there and, and build out a full roster. It wouldn't shock me if that wins a million dollars this week. And that's, you know, obviously who knows right now, but that is one thing that jumped out low owned highest total of the week. And people can't afford to get there is sometimes a recipe for winning something big. Yeah. I mean, I think there are definitely some like game theory type of approaches here with this week, but I will kind of counter a bit that I do think the Browns defense is probably going to be better than what at least football outsiders projects. Mm -hmm. So they were 25th in um, pass defense DVOA last season. And a lot of the guys they added, I don't think would pop in the model as being big increasers and likely efficiency there. So they added Jadavian Clowney, who really hasn't been a huge impact player in recent seasons. They added a, what I think from like what I've read is a really like important piece and John Johnson at safety, but like safeties are really hard to statistically measure their importance. So I think there may be more there than you would expect, but then you're also adding guys like rookie Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, where you're like second round linebacker or whatever, who cares? But I think that just in reality, he may be much more of an impactful player than you would expect. And some other guys like Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit coming off of injury. None of these guys have like historical NFL approximate value to drive improvements in the projections. I just think it's probably going to be a little bit better there than you would expect. Uh, last year, the Browns really weren't that good of a fantasy matchup anyway, given their bad like you know efficiency numbers for defense. They were neutral for completion percentage and yards for pass attempts uh, for quarterbacks. So I like I'm not sure that the Browns are going to be a, a definite like start against. That being said, like obviously Patrick Mahomes is kind of immune to matchups. So I think a lot of what you said is also true. Yeah, you look at that KC offensive DVOA, a 49% boost <laughs> over average for the passing game last yep, year for Kansas City. So I think you might be right. Like Cleveland can certainly make some strides here against the teams that are weaker. It's just for me, Kansas City getting healthier, hopefully having shored up the offensive line that we saw wreak havoc on yes. what they were trying to do in the Super Bowl. Like I, it's hard for me to look away from like that is, I don't know if that's the biggest boost, Scott. You would know better than I would, but that is a gigantic boost to see on paper. It's funny, though, because the Browns may be the one team that can sort of play uh, keep away, I guess you would say, for Mahomes with you know, the, the the Chiefs have the number 31 DVA run defense last season. And most of the time teams fall behind and can't really take advantage. But the Browns are kind of equipped to maybe, you know, run those 15 play extended drives. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to bet against Mahomes. Kind of more toward your angle of this game being really high scoring. One DFS play that I really like here is Donovan Peoples-Jones, the number three receiver for the Browns. Uh, just $3,000 in DraftKings. I see that as being like way underpriced, like more than $1,000 underpriced. Um, and part of this is a little bit instinctual. Donovan Peoples-Jones was one of Football Outsiders' top 25 prospects from the Football Outsiders' almanac. But great measurables, both in terms of like height, weight, et cetera, plus like times in the combine and such um, in 2020 when he got drafted. Plus 51.9% DVOA on the mid-rookie targets. All the preseason buzz about him is like how good he was and like how he clearly won the wide receiver three job. Do you think that's reaching a little bit too much here or is that the kind of play that can kind of put your lineup over the top here? 
I think it's an interesting concept. Like I think Higgins is still going to project better for some, uh, some of the systems out there that I've seen. And I, mm-hmm. you know, and I get why, cause he was a guy who was running ahead of people's Jones for most of last year, but I'm with you. The training camp buzz was really palpable. Some of the numbers from last year for people's Jones on a, a per possession per play basis were really high. And, you know, and you have to think too, like, you know, if anything, the chiefs are going to do, you know, hopefully they have uh Teron Matthew there though. I think that's still up in the air, but um, you know, they're going to dedicate a little more to selling out to stop Landry to stop Odell Beckham. And that should open up somebody here. Um, I think for me though, the, you know, the way that I would view it is more like, I think that people's Jones is more of an interesting pivot to Chris Conley projects to be decently owned and is going to have a good projection on for a lot of sites out there. Um, he's minimum salary. Uh, yeah. Marquez Callaway also going to be 3,400 on DK. Like maybe you use people Jones instead of those two in a chalky lineup. And that's your one differentiation point. And I think that's one thing that you can do where you can take all the chalk, then take all the best plays, mm-hmm. take your Calvin Ridley's and whatever. And if those pan out, but you have people's Jones and he somehow outscores Callaway or somehow outscores Callaway and Conley, you're in a really good spot. So I think taking that flyer there, like again, game theory, DFS, 40 chess kind of thing. I think there's some logic there. I love that for sure. All right. Continuing with the 425 games, we have Dolphins at Patriots. Uh, this is up in New England, but 79 and clear with, with moderate winds, not a big weather issue here. You mentioned earlier that you weren't really sure um, either side on the two attack by Lua thing. I have a very strong opinion about this, maybe a little bit too strong, but Philip, you can throw up that graphic to illustrate this. I've been leaning on this a lot where there's this huge public pessimism for Tua after his rookie season that I just don't think is justified. His passing DVOA of negative 8.5%. The negative means it's below average for all quarterbacks. But as far as rookie quarterbacks go, totally fine, honestly. Like compare him to Joe Burrow, which I think, you know, knee injury aside, people kind of liked what he did last year. Almost the same negative 7.3%. Last year, Kyler Murray negative 3.1%, kind of in that range way ahead of the guys that I would have concerns about, like your Jared Goffs of the world, negative 74.8%. Like it just, it wasn't that bad from an efficiency perspective. Now that he's healthier, now that they've really improved their receiving options, I'm very bullish on Tua this season. Did I convince you at all? <laughs> I I think, you know, honestly, just part of it's a little bias thing where, you know, we saw the switch from Fitzpatrick to Tua and, yeah. and then, you know, and how that really affected the receivers out there where Parker became basically yeah. useless. Uh, Gasicki was basically useless. I think other than that one Cardinals game where Tua sort of made everything work and look fantastic. But you go through the numbers and I agree, the numbers aren't as bad as they felt in the moment. You know, there's some things that concern me. He had a, a 46 QB rating when he was pressured last year. That's not great though. The rookie thing, as you mentioned, coming off the hip injury, like you get why that could happen. And also, you know, 99 uh, QB rating in a clean pocket, not a great number either. So that's some stuff that does give me pause. Like if a guy can't succeed in a clean pocket, you know, what's really wrong there? What's he doing? That's that's not great. But, you know, the deep ball numbers were solid. Like he still had a you know, 77 deep ball rating, which is, you know, right there where you and not where you want to be, but it's right there with a lot of QBs, at least around league average. So I might be wrong here. I just kind of get the sense and this might be me reading too many in this, into the tea leaves, but or too much in the tea leaves. But Deshaun Watson, the rumors around him, then Brian Flores coming out and be like, we want character guys, blah, blah, blah. It does feel like there were some tires kicked maybe, and they're probably not seeing enough out of two in the preseason to feel like he was the guy and taking the leap that they want to see. So not the hugest believer, but it won't surprise me if he does level out because, you know, like he was a top prospect for pretty good reason. And there's no reason to think he should have suddenly you know gotten so much worse besides that hip issue that should be long past him. I really buy into the narrative that last year's offense just wasn't right for Tua specifically. And kind of to that point is Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki, kind of their top two options last year, had the second and third lowest average separation rates of 1.7 yards each um, among qualified receivers per next-gen stats. Like those are the type of receivers that can thrive with a quarterback with a cannon and that's willing to throw into those tight window throws. 
that's Fitzpatrick. That is not Tua. And so I think adding guys like Jalen Waddell and Will Fuller, who are big separators, big after the catch guys, I think that's just going to make a world of difference for Tua this season. I think you could see it a little bit in the preseason. That's why I'm forecasting a really big improvement for him. I mean, honestly, your two quarterbacks in general get that. But I think he's a top 15 quarterback for me in traditional formats. And I, I think he's going to be an early season DFS play because of it. Yeah, he runs. He's got weapons. You know, Will Fuller, we know from his Texans time, can break open a slate or break open a game at any time. Same thing for Devontae Parker. And Waddle has shown that in college as well. So, look, mm -hmm. if he doesn't succeed here, I think we could certainly go, all right, Tua, now we know you are not that guy. You are more Mariota than you are anything else. Sure. And um, and I think that's something that you got to give him the year, though, to figure it out. So, I think uh, probably reserving judgment is, is the move. And then, you know, I think Eric on the side of positivity, I get that logic a lot. I definitely get there's downside risk. And so normally I wouldn't be advocating a rookie receiver with a quarterback with that kind of downside risk. But in DFA, DFS this week, I do think Jalen Waddell is an interesting play, just 3,600 in DraftKings. I think well underpriced, 1,600 underpriced. And to me, this is maybe a thing that people are missing, which is that Will Fuller got suspended six games for PEDs last season, but only had five games left in the year. So there's a spillover of one game of suspension this week. So I think Waddle is very definitely the number one wide receiver when I'm not sure that'll be the case all season. And so I think you can kind of sink this one in as a play. Would you go that deep? Do you think that that kind of makes a big difference for him this week? I think it makes sense certainly to take advantage of the, you know, people not necessarily being tuned into the fact that Fuller's not going to be available and the fact they yeah. really just don't have a lot of other guys in the room right now for this Dolphins wide receiver core that can do it. I still think Devontae Parker is the one I would look at first, but you know, okay. Waddle, I think um, that might just be again, you know, previous bias. Parker's done it a little bit more than we've seen, you know, Waddle do it in the pros, obviously. Um, so that's something that does hold some merit to me. And um, I don't know if Pre Preston Williams is back and, and should be available, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think so that's one thing too. Like Preston Williams has been pretty good. And I think maybe, you know, certainly he's not coming with a pedigree of a Waddle or, or a Fuller uh, who they signed as well. But I do think, you know, he's a guy that can throw a little bit of a wrench in there, but price point wise, I think you're in, you know, I think you're on the right track there. I am more of a Devonta Smith guy though, if we are going to choose our, our Bama receiver. So that's the, that's the yeah. one thing I would say, but I think Waddle be like good price point and probably the cheapest he'll be all year long. I think unless he's just outright terrible in a way that wouldn't be expected. Why not both? I love the rookie receivers <laughs> this year, apparently. All right, next up, Packers at Saints. Uh, this is 425 p.m., but I'll point out, if you don't know already, this is in Jacksonville, a neutral site game, moved out of New Orleans because of the Hurricane Ida damage. That's really important because not only do you lose the Dome, which is a big booster of passing games and running games, honestly, but there's a 25% chance of rain this weekend um, during game time at Jacksonville. So something to keep an eye on, something that may depress values for the passing games here. Um, passing games is really where I went for the storyline here. Will a quarterback change from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston? What's that going to do to the, the Saints skill players like Alvin Kamara, Marquez Callaway, and eventually Michael Thomas, guys that have traditionally been very valuable or maybe very big sleepers this year for fantasy? I mean, I am a lover of Jameis Winston. I when he had that Bucks run down the stretch where he was just mm -hmm. throwing it up over and over again, making guys <laughs> like Rashad Perriman. I mean, I have loved this man for two years now just because of what Jameis did with him, just throwing the ball up, giving him a chance to make big bodied plays. And that's what Jameis brings to the table. Like, I think I yeah, the hope is that he gets a little bit smarter. And the LASIK thing, I think, has been beaten into the ground, but maybe you'll see the defenders a little more clearly and uh. not throw directly <laughs> to them. Um, I'm but it. I, yeah. Deep ball throwers. Like I value that. Like, I, I think that's something that does have merits and you create opportunity through that. I think Alvin Kamara also is going to look a lot better than he would have via Taysom Hill in there, taking the rushing equity away and those short passes that Kamara's clearly done well with. So I'm a believer in Jameis. I just think the question is really, you know, is Trey Quan Smith going to take a little bit more away from Callaway in the season than um, it might've seemed because he didn't do much in the preseason was banged yeah. up and Callaway looked great, but uh, Trey Quan also has not produced a lot as a wide receiver one, you know, so, so to speak when Michael Thomas has been unavailable in the past. So 
there's questions there. I just think Jameis is going to throw the ball. And um, if these guys catch it, all, all the better for him. But this game, Scott, you know, you mentioned it's not in New Orleans. He is closer to his, his former stopping grounds in Tallahassee. He is a Florida guy through and through, or at least, you know, reflects that life a lot. Uh, so in that, you know, and in, in my mind, I think this is a spot for Jameis do it on the national stage. Show everybody you are a new man. It's just, does the line, do the lines back that out? seems like it's not. So it might just be on an island here that the data doesn't support in any way whatsoever. No, I mean, I think the data does support it. I actually think Jameis is a good player. And not only that, I just think that he and Bruce Arians were such like a square peg round hole deal where it's like, Arians is like, yes, throw the ball down the field. We're taking chances. And Winston already with this predilection towards throwing the ball up, that's how you end up with a 30 interception season. So I just think, that that scheme change is going to be so much better a fit for him this season. I think he's a good player. I think he himself may have fantasy value. But from my perspective, the interesting thing here is the stylistic stylistic difference between him and Drew Brees, where Brees, <coughs> since 2018, 27.8% of his passes have gone to running backs. That's the most among quarterbacks with 200-plus attempts. Winston is barely half that rate at 15.6%. You can say that that has to do with the players involved, but I'm actually really worried that Alvin Kamara is not going to get his like eight targets a game that have really boosted his fantasy value because he hasn't ever really been a high volume rusher, but those catches are so much more valuable from a fantasy perspective, including DFS and carries are anyway, that that kind of boosted them. I'm worried that that's going to go away this season. Is that something that you're worried about at all? I think it's a concern. I think it's still going to be better than it would have been with Taysom, as I, as I mentioned, but I think I it's agree. still not, yep. it's not great. Like I think Jameis does run a little bit more, certainly more than Breeze did. And Breeze really, as you mentioned, just became kind of captain check down in a way that we sort of mm-hmm. didn't all, I think fully make, you know, make peace with given the fact that he was a guy that historically had been a little more of a downfield thrower. But I like, I agree. Like, I think that Jameis is probably not the perfect fit for Kamara. Like he's not completely statuesque out there. And he is a guy that can, you know, make plays or, or think he can make plays, but I still think it's a decent spot for him and especially not having Michael Thomas. Like we saw what happened last year without Michael Thomas for Kamara yeah. and granted it was a breeze QB situation, but um, I think there's hope for him. I just don't know. There's hope for him uh, relative to his price point relative to where he's being drafted. Like, yeah. are you going to take him over McCaffrey? I don't know. That's the move in this green Bay situation, but I think this game, you know, in, an intriguing upset potential. And, and I think too, the hope is that somehow Jameis can, you know, overachieve or, or I guess achieve relative to what his initial hype is coming into the league. And, and I think this is a situation where if you are a, serious team and you are the saints and you're Sean Payton beating green Bay in this week, one spot would be a real feather in their cap and certainly give them some momentum going into a fairly tough NFC South. Yeah. I mean, I agree with a lot of your points. I'm not going to try to talk anybody out of starting Camara if they want to Uh, also of note, he doesn't really have big splits home versus road, 22.5 points per game at home, 21.9 on the road. I think you expect those big splits because of the overall kind of offensive changes from home to the road for the team but I'm less worried about him than I would be for other players, given that they actually aren't playing in New Orleans this weekend. Um, But all that said, because of what I think of Winston as a deep ball thrower, that's why I think Marquez Callaway is a nice value. Just $3,400 in DraftKings this week. Um, Maybe Trey Quan Smith's involved, but either way, Callaway's the 88th most expensive wide receiver in DraftKings. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's clearly more valuable than that, right? Yeah, he's going to be very popular this week in DFS. I think there's no way to look, you know, especially you go to the preseason logs. People see that mm-hmm. he had you know, fantastic results with Jameis in the preseason too. Like everything checks out here. The people are going to be really heavy on Callaway. And I think that's, you know, that's the value play. If you're playing cash games in DFS, follow the ownership, follow the guys who are chalk and who are a little bit undervalued Absolutely. and that's Callaway. So cash games play him in tournaments, you know, probably don't go too crazy above the field just because there's some risk here. And, you know, Traquan is a bigger bodied guy. You also have Deontay Harris, who's kind of that, you know, similar, I keep saying mighty mouse, but that little guy, <laughs> you know, speedy can sort of get some volume. Like, 
there's some risk for Callaway, but he definitely is justifying the ownership because he should not be this cheap given what we've seen so far. I actually pitched Deontay Harris to Rivers, who writes our Football Outsiders 25 to, uh, Top Prospects article. I was like, oh, he's got he's got to be the guy. And then like immediately one month later, they're like, actually, Marquez Callaway is the next Michael Thomas. I'm like, oh, I screwed it up again. Come on. But still <laughs> still holding out out there. Better than Ozigbo, though, I think. You're either way yeah, here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm really not making shot. myself like strong bona fides for giving fantasy advice. So let's just move move on. Taking the chances is what matters, Scott. <laughs> it's having the logic, backing it out. It's like a math problem. You show your work. That's all the people can ask out there. Yeah, I mean, take enough bites of the apple, you'll hit some, right? <laughs> okay, Broncos at Giants, another 425 game. This one's in New York, but again, 83 degrees clear. Not too bad a win. So good conditions here. Major storyline, another quarterback-related one here. Uh, will Teddy Bridgewater enable the fantasy success of the exciting skill players on the Broncos like Javante Williams at running back, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton at wide receiver, and Noah Fant at tight end. I am not a big believer in Teddy Bridgewater. I think it sort of makes sense why he was chosen as a starting QB by Vic Fangio, who we know is you know a defensive guy. And I do feel like defensive guys tend to err on the side of you know wanting a, a secure situation, not wanting the risky situation. But Drew Locke to me, and this is uh, probably the hottest take I'll put out the entire show. There were whiffs of Josh Allen to what he was doing last year, where he was running like certainly the you know the rookie Josh Allen, the one where there was like nobody believed in him. He was a guy that for fantasy me, I was like there is something here because he's thrown a lot of deep balls and he's running a lot. Drew Locke was doing that too, certainly turning it over more than you'd like to see, certainly not with the accuracy levels you'd like to see, but there was something to that. But, you know, I get why as a coach, you don't want to embrace the volatility maybe in some spots, but Teddy Bridgewater is not going to give you that volatility because like we talked about, he's probably not going to press the ball downfield. He's not going to get a lot of touchdowns. And I think that's something where maybe Cortland Sutton, maybe Jerry Judy have those years like Robbie Anderson, um, you know, like DJ Moore had where there's a good amount of volume, but it's a lot of volume that's kind of shorter volume, not, you know, not going 20 yards downfield, maybe not getting in the end zone a ton. So I believe in Bridgewater. I get the logic behind it, but for fantasy, it's a spot that unless he's a completely different guy than he was in an offense last year, where, you know, Joe Brady and what he does, and he likes to get the ball downfield and wants to score a lot of passing touchdowns that didn't happen in that spot. I don't know how it happens in Denver. If we just, again, if we didn't see that in a very similar situation with more veteran receivers who have the similar skill sets. Yeah, thanks to NF philosophy. I don't know if I, if I got that, that enunciation quite right for shouting us out on Twitch. I'll point out again, now that the season's starting, we are Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. Some combination of me, Aaron Schatz, Mike Tanier, and fun guests like Chris, Chris Baggs here. So check us out there. But circling back to the Bridgewater thing, you know, I knew I had this stat written down, but I brought it up earlier and couldn't find it in the Panthers one. But again, Bridgewater, 15 touchdowns in 15 games last season. Are we sure this is the guy that's going to let those sleepers like Jerry Judy hit this year? I'm a little pessimistic. I mean, you mentioned Fangio. I think the reason he chose... Bridgewater is because he's a defensive minded coach. And I think this offense is going to reflect that uh, since he's taken over, they've been the 12th highest run ratio, 44.5%. And that's even though they've been trailing in games, I think they have a 12 and 20 record in that time. So the game script has pushed them toward the pass and they still aren't really high there. So I think I'm kind of pessimistic about guys like Judy and, and Cortland Sutton uh, this season, not because of their talent levels, just because I don't really think that Bridgewater is going to push the needle in their situation the way that many hope to. Yep. Yep. Same page with you. I, I think I have hope because the talent is there, but there's just no reason to see what, what we've seen in Bridgewater historically. Like he's ever since that leg injury. And, and honestly, even before, like he's just never been a guy who's going to really take those risks and get it downfield. And, and to get it, you know, not embracing the volatility is definitely a move when you believe in your defense. So there's a logic to it, but it is kind of that classic old school NFL coach logic where let's play it as safe as possible and then probably end up, you know, eight and nine or whatever the case will be this year. 
All right, another deep idea here for DraftKings. So Chris, tell me if I'm ever thinking this. Kyle Rudolph with the Giants, mm -hmm. just $2,800 in DraftKings. The point here is that I'm pretty sure Evan Ingram's going to miss this game. He's been dealing with a calf injury and hasn't been practicing. And that leaves just Rudolph and Caden Smith as healthy tight ends on the Giants roster. And I actually put the term healthy in air quotes because Smith has been missing practice too with his knee injury. Is Rudolph a little bit too far down the list for you to consider? Or do you think that maybe he gets volume because he has to? So Tyler Croft, I think is going to be a, a decently chalky play because the Jets, another team with that doesn't have anybody at tight end. And, yeah. and Zach Wilson still has been a guy who's been slinging it around, certainly in college and enough in preseason, I think, to give people hope that it's kind of logic we talked about with you know, going to a people's Jones over a Conley yeah. or a Marquez Callaway where you're doing that for the ownership. And I think in that perspective, I get the logic. You're also paying up a little bit more than Tyler Croft will be. So that can kind of put you in a different lineup construction. I get it. I just think this Giants offense was so ugly last year. And now you're adding, you know, Galladay into the mix too. He's certainly going to take some work away from the other guys True. like Darius Slayton was a guy that I loved the year before and now he's been rendered completely impotent by this offense same you know Sterling Shepard is still a PPR guy but not somebody getting a ton of work um, in the way that you want to see to have you know full fantasy upside I just think it's the kind of team that kind of I don't know thrives on inhibiting production so um, I think from the DFS you know the game theory perspective that we've talked about a few times here like I get going to Kyle Rudolph I just don't have any faith in anybody here because I think Joe Judge is going to be it, it, this being a matchup between Judge and Fangio makes a lot of sense because I think they have kind of a similar philosophy of let's do the barest minimums possible to try to make this work. Okay, two more games. First, the Sunday night matchup, Bears at Rams. That's in LA. That's in the Dome. Uh, so my major storyline, Chris, can the Rams offense get dramatically better with Matthew Stafford at quarterback? I don't think you would necessarily think the answer is yes because the Rams have been a really strong offense with Jared Goff. But the major stat that I found here that I think maybe highlights some possible success the Rams with Goff last year, 7.2 yards per attempt with play action versus 6.5 without. So just a 0.7 yards increase. Um, but they were a really heavy user of play action. And meanwhile, Stafford, 8.4 yards with play action versus 6.6 .6 without, a 1.8 jump, much bigger. I think probably a better fit scheme-wise for what, for what uh, the Rams want to do this year. What do you think there with the addition at quarterback? I, I love the addition. I think that was something that we saw down the stretch of last year where I, you know, I think that Sean McVay wanted to play John Walford more than he wanted to play Jared Goff down the stretch. And when Walford got hurt, it kind of ruined it because Walford at least was throwing the ball downfield. Um, wasn't as gun shy as, as Jared Goff has been for whatever reasons he became a low a dot, uh, you know, low downfield throwing guy, even though he clearly was in an offense that Sean McVay knows the value of getting the ball downfield. And I think that's something where now he has, you know, a guy who doesn't rush as much like I'm sure he would love to have, you know, a Kyler Murray type or a Josh Allen type would be his full platonic ideal. But I think in this spot, Stafford is going to be a guy who can chuck it, can get them in a, you know, mm -hmm. positive of game script situations by scoring early and then hopefully you could you know kind of ease off it or or maybe you don't because maybe Sean yep. McVay is finally going to show the full you know the full breadth of his genius and I think that's something where like I am a McVay believer I do believe he's been kind of a the last year last year and change really since that Super Bowl loss kind of a tortured artist dealing with this canvas that is Jared Goff and now <laughs> it's like you have a guy who has had you know, all the analytic success, all the downfield throwing success, the stuff that we value, he's in this offense now. And I think that's something that Sean McVay is going to have no fear taking advantage of. Chicago, tough to run on last year. One of the worst or one of the worst matchups from the DVOA with a negative 22.5 uh, DVOA for rushing. So uh, if that does hold up, obviously defense, not the most sticky thing year to year sometimes, but if that's something that holds up. This is a, a situation too, where they might have to throw. So I think Cooper Cup's very live. I think Robert Woods is very live stacking him up for showdowns, putting those guys a captain with Stafford, I think is the move, a wide receiver captain going to be more plus CV or, or pass catcher captain as we saw the other day with Rob Rogkowski being uh, the one uh, who ended up winning the big money for uh, DraftKings yesterday but 
I think overall, Scott, I am a big believer in, in Stafford. So when you say people don't believe in him, I'm like, wow, am I an idiot? Then <laughs> I think I am the <laughs> fullest believer here for this Rams team. I mean, I think everybody in the public believes in him, but it's just the Rams offense was really good with Goff. But that all that said, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think it's not a coincidence. They added Stafford. They added Deshaun Jackson. They added Tutu Atwell to try to open this game up down the field. Uh, that being said, I, I still think Cooper Cup is a really nice value here at, at just 6,200 in FanDuel. Um, I think some injuries have maybe 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 people um, have overlooked the fact that Cup has been a top 15 wide receiver, 15.7 PPR points per game over the last three seasons. And Stafford really enabled Golden Tate to have a ton of success as a slot receiver between 120 and 144 targets for four straight seasons with Stafford in Detroit. So yes, Stafford could throw down the field, but I don't think that's any reason to have any doubts about what Cup can do in this offense too. Yep, I agree. And we, we've seen him love the slot receivers too. Like Danny Amendola's had some usable yeah, times. Yeah. We've had also him loving, you know, TJ Hawkinson at tight end. So maybe there is some hope for Higby, though I do think, you know, going to cup a little more on the slot probably does make the most sense. But, you know, there's a lot of options to go to here. And I think in this spot, you know, it's a pretty high total projected for the Rams, given that they are facing the Bears with uh, 27 implied points from the books and a similar marker here from our edge sports line as well. So in this spot, I think the Rams, you know, kind of putting it out on the, on the Bears and hopefully making the Bears move away from Dalton, I think is really what I'm. <laughs> I'm hoping to see out of this Sunday night game. Absolutely. All right. One more game to go. Ravens at Raiders. Uh, this is Monday night, 8.15 p.m. Eastern in the Dome in Las Vegas. Uh, I actually had this as the major storyline even before yesterday. Can the Ravens offense withstand their bevy of injuries? And then they got hit with more injuries. Like, it, is it just kind of gotten to a, a laughable point at this point, Chris? And do you think that that's going to sabotage what they want to do offensively? It's got to be tough. I mean, they stopped practicing yesterday because they had two guys with ACL tears. And it was like, okay, we can't practice anymore <laughs> because why is this happening? This is like we're, we're cursed. And it I think like that certainly cursed. got away yeah. on you a little bit. I think the main thing that jumps out to me here is the edge line being so low for this game where it's a 43 over under for edge compared to a 50 over under uh, for the books. And maybe that's something that moves a little bit as some of the more data comes in and they can sort of figure out how to work with the running back situation. But it is really like it's it's a bad sign to start the year where you're bringing in all these veteran running backs just to try to stem the blood flow. And I'd said the Raiders were pretty bad last year, though. I think, you know, maybe a little better for some, you know, some of the DVOA numbers, but really not, you know, not great by any stretch. I think that's something, too, where I still have enough faith in Lamar that he can do whatever he wants here. But I think, you know, this game being a minus one line for the Ravens two on edge compared to a minus four line uh, for some of the books out there a sign that maybe there's a more competitive game perhaps the Raiders end up doing a little bit more than would be expected though I don't know where you even go at this point with their wide receiver options I guess you know Darren Waller is the one you could really bank on but yeah um, running back with Josh Jacobs that backfield getting a little more crowded too and Jacobs also banged up yes. I don't have a ton of faith but this game Scott I just feel like an ugly Monday nighter and one of the first Monday nights too I think the first Monday night in years where we don't have the double header so hopefully this game doesn't end up completely but ugly <laughs> I mean I think there's a real possibility but I, I do have kind of a bit of a blind faith for Lamar Jackson. Jackson. And one thought related to this is that he threw to wide receivers on just 42.8% of his passes last year. That's the lowest rate in football. So, I mean, losing the running backs, maybe that's going to catch up with them, but like losing guys like Rashad Bateman and Miles Boykin for the early season, I don't really see it as that big of a problem. I actually have Jackson as my number one passing option in fantasy this week. Um, again, maybe a little bit misguided, but the dome, you that boost passing yards per attempt and, and touchdowns per attempt it's a great matchup for running. Um, and maybe he has to do a little bit more of it with his banged up uh, running backs, but I like him here. And I've got to say that post all of the injuries, including Gus Edwards, Tyson Williams is suddenly my favorite value really both in FanDuel and, and DraftKings, just $4,800 in, in FanDuel right now. 
with all of the other injuries. I know that they've signed guys like Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman, but they're both still in the practice squad. Latavius Murray only has a couple of days to get up to speed. So I don't necessarily think this is the full season plan, but like in the short term, how do you not assume that Williams is a top 20 option at the position, right? I just think he's really underpriced because of the, the recency of those injuries. Yeah, he's worth taking the flyer on and hoping it works out. I do think that that backfield is going to get a bit, a bit of a logjam moving forward because we've seen this team, yeah. you know, share carries with everybody they can just to kind of keep the pressure off. So I think something to be a little bit, you know, reluctant about moving forward. But I agree, heading into Monday night where you do have the single game contest on FanDuel and DraftKings, uh, Tyson Williams is probably going to be the safest choice there. But at the end of the day, we all know it's going to come down to Lamar and he's going to take pretty much all that rushing off the table. Maybe the Raiders do increase rushing yards per carry by 9% and touchdowns per carry by 50% ladder number being the biggest in football. So like, I wouldn't be stunned if we like come out of that game and the Ravens win 38 to seven, you know, like maybe that's not the expectation given all their injuries, but at least the offensive line's healthy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for now, for now. <laughs> you know, as I've said, while we've recorded, I mean, it's been an hour and 15 minute show. There could have been multiple injuries, but we're going to knock on wood and hope not. Uh, well, again, long show, Chris. Thanks so much for hanging in there with me. It's been great to have you. Great to add you to the Edge Sports team. Could you tell all of our fans like what's going on at Edge Sports this year and what's going on with, with your podcast feed? Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, Scott. And obviously, you know, I'm excited to be here. I come, you know, from a company in Osmo, you know, Daily Fantasy is where our lifeblood was, but also a lot of it, you know, ties into sports betting. So that's sort of the goal here is to use the advanced knowledge that we have for football outsiders and for edge sports, the data that teams are paying for to bring that to all of you guys and make you guys as sharp as you can be, guys and gals, as sharp as you can be for fantasy, for betting, for everything. Like we're going to talk about it all here. And part of that means, you know, going to five days a week, as Scott talked about earlier, yeah. uh, every day on this channel, on the Switch channel, we're going to be having shows. 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, and some of them will be fantasy. Some of them will be kind of the overarching analytics with Aaron and some of the other guys. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun here. And then we're bringing our show Splash Play that I do with Peter Overzed, who is uh, a fun commodity out there in the fantasy space, if you're not familiar. But we're going to be doing that three days a week as well, right after the FO live shows on Twitch. We'll be doing that on YouTube. So uh, follow at Splash Play Pod is what I would say. Follow at FB Outsiders because we're going to have a lot of fun changes here. And make sure you are checking out footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to hear a lot of the great data that Scott referenced. And Go check out Edge Sports too, edj at sports.com. Uh, go sign up on there because the data that they have, again, like the line for the first game we had of the season, uh, the line that Edge Sports had yesterday was 57 for the over-under in that uh, that Bucks cowboys game, and it ended up getting over that one still, but uh, a five-point difference compared to the betting lines out there. So if you just kind of look for those edges, look for those, uh, no pun intended, look for those differentials, hmm. you're going to find some good bets for yourself. And really, in this marketplace where there's a lot of people making dumb bets out there, I think having the power of 100,000 simulations that are going at any given moment is really... Uh, more than you can ask for of anybody else out there. Obviously, I'm going to echo everything Chris said. Check out Splash Play. Check out all the great work on Edge Sports and on Football Outsiders. If you're ready to hear me again, the next time you will is next Tuesday for a waiver wire show, 1 p.m. Football Outs or twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. But again, every Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, we got a lot going on. It's going to be a really exciting season. Chris, I hope you enjoy your week one. I hope all our fans do. And we'll yeah, look forward so to catching too. everybody next week. we all win a million yeah. dollars, Scott. Yeah, do it. We, could, we could all share. That's what we were hoping for. Absolutely. Do it. And then give us a shout out for telling you who to pick. I mean, it's got to be the, the Kyle Rudolph is going to put you over. We're the all edge. due. We know yeah. it. <laughs> the Kyle Rudolph and Donovan Peoples-Jones staff. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> all right, Chris, man. Have a good weekend and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya.